0: So with Siyadah Ishmael let's continue on our lessons and understanding our Shema and our Amidah and our Tefillah to Hashem. And so now we're in the Amidah. And so now let's let's continue. Why do we single out Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov? Why? Well, we say God of Abraham, God of Yitzhak and the God of Yaakov. So when we call upon the God of our fathers, we bring to mind three of the special spiritual qualities God possesses that are emulated by the Jewish people. Kindness, spiritual strength, and Torah. In fact, Shimon Sadiq declared the world was established upon three things. Torah study, service to God, and kindness. So Chesed, loving kindness, governs our interpersonal relationships. Service to God represents our unique relationship with the Almighty, and while Torah bridges our connections to both man and God. Our Founding Fathers personified these very qualities during their lifetimes and serving as role models for all of us in all generations. So, in uttering the names of our forefathers as we pray, we commit ourselves to improving our own attachment to their ideals, as well as drawing upon their merit. Zechut Tavos for the success of our encounter with the Almighty. So, the God of Abraham, Abraham personifies Chesed, loving kindness. And after he came to the realization that there was only one God. Abraham reached out to his idolatrous neighbors to introduce them to monotheism. And according to the Midrash, Abraham and Sarah regularly invited guests into their home for meals. And after their company had finished the meal, Abraham invited them to thank the one who made the meal possible. And naturally they thanked Sarah. Then Abraham gently explained that while Sarah prepared their delicious repast, She obtained ingredients from many different sources, from farms, orchards, and vineyards. And ultimately, Abraham led them to the understanding that the source of all food is the one God who created the seed of every plant and the embryos of all livestock. Abraham and Sarah's mission was successful because their generous hospitality was coupled with genuine loving kindness. And so loving-kindness, which encompasses compassion, caring, hospitality, and charity, is considered one of the most important character traits of a Jew. Abraham's hospitality was only one aspect of his loving-kindness. When God revealed to him that he was going to destroy the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham implored God to spare the good and the innocent. And inspired by a genuine love of people and an inner sense of righteousness, Abraham pleads to God, it would be a sacrilege for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. It would be a sacrilege for you, judge of the world, to not act justly. And later in Abraham's old age, he sent his trusted servant Eliezer to return to his homeland and seek a wife for his beloved son Yitzhak. So according to the commentaries, Abraham knew full well that the young woman of his birthplace had much better characters than the daughters of Canaan. And with this in mind, Abraham dispatched his emissary to his homeland to find someone who would personify kindness. When he reached his destination, he met Rivka by demonstrating an extraordinary level of hesed. So Rifka enabled Eliezer to realize that she truly would be able to uphold the high standards of kindness of the family. And she married Yitzhak and became the second matriarch of the Jewish people. So now, God of Yitzhak. Yitzhak is best known for the momentous trial of his lifetime, the Akedas Yitzhak, his binding and near sacrifice on the altar. And this event was also Abraham's greatest test. God told Abraham to take his most beloved son, Yitzhak, and offer him on the altar. Abraham was deeply perplexed by this command. Hadn't God promised him that Yitzhak would be his successor and perpetrate his mission to future generations? So doesn't God despise human sacrifice? How could God ask him to go against everything he believed in and have preached to the pagan world? Throughout his dramatic episode, God actively engages Abraham, while Yitzhak seems passive, unperturbed. Behold, Yitzhak turns to his father. There is fire and firewood, but where is the lamb for the offering? Abraham calmly responds, God will show himself the offering, my son. And according to our sages, it is Yitzhak who epitomizes spiritual strength and might at that moment. And what do we see Yitzhak's strength doing in this trial? Abraham accepted God's commandment to sacrifice his beloved son because he had an ongoing relationship with God and trusted him unequivocally. After hearing the divine decree directly, he went ahead on this fatal journey. Yitzhak, however, was not aware until almost the last moment he was to be sacrificed. When that moment arrived, Yitzhak was submissive with full trust and faith in his father. Abraham revealed to him what God had commanded him to do and Yitzhak remained silent he could have cried out father why are you doing this was i not to be your heir carrying out your spiritual legacy to the next generation did you not protest against human sacrifice in the end yitzhak's act of submission to the highest authority wasn't actual spiritual strength it was an act even greater that of that of abraham And we can derive many lessons from this epic event. One lesson is just just as Yitzhak accepted God's command, even though he only had heard about it indirectly from his father, we too accept the oral law, which God communicated at Mount Sinai to all future generations, as if we had heard it directly from God. And another lesson we learn is the fundamental teaching that a Jew must always be ready to submit to God's will, even if this sometimes means dying for the sake of faith al kiddush Hashem. And Yitzhak symbolizes both Kiddush Hashem and prayer on its highest level because they are both acts of spiritual strength subordinating one's will to God. So now God of Yaakov, the last of the patriarchs, Yaakov was first described in the Torah in contrast to his twin brother Esau. The boys grew up and Esau became a skilled trapper, a man of the field, while Yaakov was a wholesome man, a tent dweller. And later Yaakov left his family in canaan to escape esav and seek a wife from his mother's family in padamaran mysteriously the torah doesn't account for the 14 year time gap in yakov's life from the time he left home until his arrival at his uncle laban's abode in his biblical commentary rashi interjects that Yaakov stopped for 14 years to study Torah and the yeshiva of Shem and ever. Yaakov represents the paradigm of Torah learning and scholarship that have marked the Jewish people throughout the ages. His role as a patriarch whose family was exiled to Egypt transmits a meaningful message to us. Yaakov's descendants were destined to spend most of their existence in exile among the nations. And though Jews lived among vastly different cultures and spoke scores of different languages, they still had one thing in common. They were united by the Torah. And to this very day, one can visit Jewish communities around the globe from North Africa to South America, from Europe to South Africa to Asia to Australia. And we're gonna find a Torah scroll in the local synagogue that's virtually identical, word for word, letter for letter with any other Torah in the world. It's Torah study, and our united declaration of one God in our prayers that has preserved our people throughout the ages. It's no wonder that the great Rav Sadia Gayon declared, our nation is only a nation by virtue of the Torah. So the first families of the Jewish people, our patriarchs and matriarchs, endowed us with certain spiritual qualities that have become part of our national character. Loving kindness is one marks, one that marks us as a nation. And there's three identifying characteristics of Jews: they are merciful bashful and do acts of kindness so just as our parents gave us certain genetic characteristics our spiritual ancestors going back to the patriarchs and matriarchs bequeathed us with spiritual genes and so in some ways this concept of spiritual genetics is similar to the 1997 study of Kohanim by geneticists which demonstrated clear genetic markers for Kohanim of both Ashkenazic and Sephardic descent And the spiritual qualities of Kohanim are part of the genetic makeup. So too, the spiritual qualities we receive from our ancestors are part of who we have become today. Abraham's kindness, for example, might be reflected in his children's extraordinary philanthropic commitment and passion for social action programs. Yitzhak's spiritual strength is manifest in his children's commitment to stand up. their religious principles even when threatened with their very lives and Yaakov's dedication to torah is evident in his children's commitment to high levels of torah scholarship and jewish education across the spectrum making them the people of the book when it says here all-powerful god great mighty and awesome god supreme we praise god as all-powerful god great mighty and awesome god supreme we have run out of adjectives are any words sufficient to do him justice there's no words. There's no words to describe God's greatness. Moreover, nothing we could say can adequately pro- express our appreciation for all that He does for us. Our utter futility in finding the right words to praise God is captured in the words of one of the most powerful prayers, the and when It says here that we are where our mouths filled with song as the sea is filled with water and our tongues with ringing praise as the roaring waves. Were our lips full of adoration as the wide expanse of heaven, and our eyes sparkling like the sun or the moon. Were our hands spread out in prayer as the eagles of the sky, and our feet as swift as the deer. We should still be unable to thank you and bless your name, my Master, our God and God of our fathers. For even one of the thousands, thousands and countless myriads of favors which you have done for our fathers and for us. And so how mortal man praises the king of the universe is the essence of a discussion in the Talmud where it says a certain individual went down to lead the prayers at the Hazan as a Hazan before Rabbi Hanina. He recited out loud the words in the Shmona Esrei, all-powerful God, great, mighty, awesome, glorious, strong, feared, potent, courageous, steadfast, and honored. And Rabbi Hanina waited until he completed his prayers and he asked him, have you concluded all of the praises of your master? Did you, by adding these extra praises, do justice in extolling God? What need do I have for all these extra praises? So indeed, if it weren't for the fact that Moshe stated these words in the Torah, the great, mighty, and awesome God, and the men of the great assembly came and established them as part of our prayers, we would not have been able to recite them. It's comparable to a mortal king who had thousands and thousands of gold dinars, and still his subjects praised him by saying that he possessed silver dinars. Isn't their behavior towards him disgraceful? And this story teaches us the most important lesson. The words of our holy prayers were not chosen indiscriminately. Every single praise was carefully selected by the men of the great assembly, which consisted of 120 righteous scholars, including 80 prophets. These men were divinely inspired to author the major prayers of our liturgy. And they knew the sacred mystical powers of every expression and its potential impact in Shemaim. Adonai Amen,